0: Hello my friends and welcome to episode 20 of Short Story Long. This week's episode is special. Really, really special. Now, we'll get into that in a second. First things first, thank you so much to everyone listening, subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the show. Uh, Every single week the episodes get bigger. Every other episode goes up. The whole thing goes up because you guys are sharing it, you're bouncing around, you're listening to other episodes and that is the best news that I can get. So thank you for that so much. Uh, Continue to share it, continue to tell your friends about it and subscribe and check it out every week. I promise not to disappoint. That being said, I wanted to read a couple uh, pieces of feedback. Like I said, leaving feedback on the iTunes page or on the podcast page is so important to the performance of the podcast. So I want to take two seconds and read some of these, uh, some of these pieces of, uh, of feedback. Uh, number one, Adrena Wynn, five stars, great pod series, drama. It's one of my favorite series besides the Joe Rogan podcast. Keep up the great work and grind. Thank you so much, Adrena Wynn. That is an incredible compliment because in my book, Joe Rogan is the podcast god. So to be number two behind that in your book is an incredible compliment. Thank you so much. I'm going to keep it up. I'm not going to say that I'm going to pass Joe Rogan because that would be disrespectful. But I will say that I will close the gap between number two and number one. Maddie Ice, one eight two five stars. Thank you. Drama, thank you for this. I'm a drummer, and every time I listen to this podcast, I'm so inspired and motivated to work towards my next step to advance my career. People need mentors such as yourself to realize the potential inside of them. You always have wise words. Keep up the good work. Maddie, I appreciate that so much. I was affected so much by the uh, you know mentoring and the paying attention to what people were doing and listening to lessons that people gave me uh, when I was kind of growing up and I still do it so much to this day it's so important to stay a student and to always pay attention and to never look at yourself as you know you know it all and and this is it and everyone should learn from you so that's a lesson that I learned early on and and that's why I do this podcast because I want to continue to get that knowledge for myself and continue to have these conversations for myself but I also want to continue to share that with everyone else and hope that I can you know give some of that back to everybody else so I'm glad that that's working for you. And hopefully it's working for some others as well. Last one, Matt2132, five stars. As an 18-year-old kid going through tough times, this podcast helps me think positive and understand everybody goes through rough patches. It's all about how you respond. Great work, drama. Uh, Matt, thank you so much. That is the point of it. Stay focused. Don't get upset. Don't get, you know, we talk about that in every one of these episodes. And in every one of these episodes, people talk about the tough times that they went through and the moments when they thought that it was over and that they couldn't do it and they weren't good enough. And you'll see that in every single episode. There won't be an episode on this show where somebody doesn't have that part of the story because it happens every time. So... Just remember that. Stay focused. Keep listening to the episodes. Don't give up. It's just a part of the process, and you have to enjoy the journey. Um, All right. Here we are. Let's get into it. Episode 20. This is such a special episode. This week's episode is with Shep Gordon, and if you don't know who Shep Gordon is, I strongly suggest you look him up most importantly watch his documentary he has a documentary that was done by Mike Meyer and it's called uh, it's called supermensch the legend of Shep Gordon and it's amazing it tells his whole story and he uh, you know he started off by managing Alice Cooper and he managed Blondie and he managed Teddy Pendergrass and was just a part of such legendary music and then he went on to produce films and he essentially created the celebrity chef and managed chefs and then he moved to maui to get away from all the chaos in la and now he has this beautiful home in maui where all these people come and it's just i don't know I, I i can't do it justice i i really suggest everyone go watch his documentary uh it's just not only inspiring but just a great story and he's a really funny guy and Also, he has a book coming out uh, on the 20th that you can pre-order now that's called They Call Me Supermensch, a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll, and that is published by Anthony Bourdain. And like I said, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. I pre-ordered mine. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. So uh, this was really an amazing one to me. I literally just sent Shep a Twitter message, and I said, hey, man, big fan, and He responded and I I sent him a direct message and said, hey, I have this podcast. I don't know if you would ever do it, but this is what I do on it and blah, blah, blah. And and I would love to have you on. And he it was about 2 p.m. on Friday last week. And he wrote me back and said, sure, I can do I can do it at 430 if you can do it over the phone. And I said, holy shit. Okay." so I set it up. I, I went and sped through the documentary a little bit to kind of refresh myself and get all the questions that I wanted to ask. And then I just kind of ghetto rigged the podcast system in my office so that I could record the phone call and speak into the mic. So I apologize for any audio issues, but it's the best I could do in two hours because I don't have the whole fancy cell phone set up yet. Um, but he did it. He literally just responded sight unseen. And obviously, you know, he looked, he looked me up to see what he would be doing, but he just did it to do it. And out of the instinct and out of thinking it would be a good idea. So it's just such a lesson, like we talk about in a lot of these episodes, especially the Rob episode, and we talk about it in this episode, it's just asking. If you have a good idea, or you have a good opportunity, or you have a good thought, just ask, bring it up, there's no harm in it. Worst case scenario, you don't respond, you don't get, you don't, you don't get what you want. But this is a perfect example of bringing it up, asking something crazy, and sure enough, two hours later, I'm interviewing Shep Gordon, so it was great just an amazing experience. I'm still so happy that it happened. So thank you to you guys. And thank you to this podcast for giving me the excuse to go out and ask ridiculous questions like that. So had a great conversation. I didn't have much time with Shep and had him on the phone, but I did try to get some good little tidbits and some good stuff that you haven't heard other places and that you won't hear in the documentary. And I think we did that. So check it out. I hope you love it. Episode 20, short story long, Shep Gordon. All right, here we are. So, Short Story Long is the name of the podcast. And, um, I, once again, I couldn't be more thrilled to have you on. Welcome to Short Story Long.
1: Aloha. Happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, so let's get started. I mean, right from the very beginning, you grew up in New York?
1: I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island. It was back in the 50s when suburbs were just starting. Um, and it was, um, most, you know, uh, most of us were first generation uh, sons and daughters of immigrants who came and lived in um, in their own communities in apartments. Um, and this was their our, our second generation. The first generation was able to make enough money to move out of the cities into the suburbs into these tract houses. It became a thing called tract houses. where you had a backyard and um, everybody had their own bedroom. It was unbelievable. It was a, it was a time when uh, there were no limits. We, uh, we we just felt like we could do anything.
0: What level of income? I mean, were, were times tough or was it like enough to get by that you didn't really have to think about money or, or how was that for you?
1: Yeah, I'm sure if my parents had to. My, my dad. Biggest year, he made about eighty five hundred dollars. My mom worked a little bit, maybe made a couple of thousand a year. The house, which was beautiful, was um, you know uh, three bedrooms, three stories. Backyard was, I think, eleven thousand um, dollars. And we had a car. I think, I think things were tough, but we didn't feel that we always had food on the table. We lived in a good community. Um, there weren't a lot of frills. But there'd be a vacation once a year. It was a good life.
0: Yeah, that's what I always say about even my childhood. Like, it wasn't, my parents by no means had money, but I didn't feel that. You know, they did such a good job and they were able to get by just enough where it just didn't feel like it. As a kid, I didn't feel poor. But now that I've grown up and, and I've been able to help my parents with some financial things here and there, I realize how much they were actually squeezing, you know? And how much
1: sacrifice and service to us kids they
0: were. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. That's something for me growing up, because I moved out here, and I and I got into TV, and I, I don't know, you just, I hate to admit it, but you kind of get a little self-centered as a kid and as a younger person that's in entertainment, and, you know, it's really easy to just think about yourself, and when you really go back and think about the sacrifices they made, it's really, I was embarrassed for, like, a couple months in my life when I realized what what I wasn't quite giving enough thanks for.
1: Like, we go out to to eat like it's nothing, and... I can remember my parents would go out once a week, and if I would, I couldn't order the lobster because it was too expensive, and I realized because they couldn't really afford it. Yep, I remember
0: we'd have our weekly like Olive Garden type.
1: What a oh. sacrifice that was, you know, to, even to do that. Um, but they did it. They did it for us. I mean, pretty amazing stuff.
0: What about any childhood like you know initial passions? Like, was there anything that you were super into
1: as a kid? Not really basketball. Played basketball every day. Um, love to read. I lived a pretty. I, I lived in a strange environment. There was a dog. My brother had a dog that was fairly vicious. So I'd spent a lot of time in my room alone. So, so I read a lot. Um, I learned how to play the trombone. Um, it was you know I didn't have a TV and there were no computers. So you you sort of learn you you uh, learn how to entertain yourself and stay occupied and. I think it was, for me, great training for what I ended up doing because um, I think so much of the work that I do demands um, isolation and thinking. Quiet spaces where you, you know, where you really, it's, it's, there are certain jobs where you come in in the morning and, you know, there's 78 orders to fill or 25 tooth to pull or, um, you know, eight cars to sell or five jets in management it's um you have to invent the highway. And that you know, that takes a lot of quiet time and and um and I think one of the things that particularly for young people starting that's stopped so many of them in their journey, the most important part for me of of becoming successful was the willingness both on my part and the people I work with to accept failure. Yeah. Um, if you're not, you know, if, if instead of instead of um, letting it drive you into a hole, I always embraced it and tried to make that failure into a positive.
0: And was that a natural instinct or was there a moment when you had to be, was there like a moment when you had to kind of learn that?
1: It was desperation. Um, it was, you know, my first couple of times, I was very lucky I had Alice Cooper as my partner who never beat me up for failing. And I and I failed a bunch of times. But it allowed us to, to win. And a lot of times I could turn those failures into winning, but it it created a buy. You can't you can't do anything good without making mistakes. That's my, in my opinion. You can yeah, repeat bad. other people's stuff. I'm sure in your clothing company you came up with some real like times you looked in the mirror and said, Oh my God, what a schmuck. I can't believe I did that.
0: Oh, horrendous! There's times you know now with with thanks to Google. If you Google, you know, there's times when I'll Google "Young and Reckless" and you go down a
1: page and it's like, holy cow,
0: that was a whole year of mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> but
1: that's that's I I think you can't really have a a great success a a, a you know a, a a game changer success without being willing to fail. You know, so I, I think. For young people, don't don't look at failure as, as a reason to stop. It's a reason to work harder.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's that's. It's just such a value that needs to be, I think, taught more or embedded more. And I think some people just have it, and some people don't. But that tolerance for that is just you know because so many people just give up or or you know whatever a, a abandon their dreams. And I think
1: society too puts so much pressure on you for for always winning
0: especially now, because now everything's in a social media comment, you know? Yeah,
1: so it's, um, it's tough, but I think it's it's a great lesson to learn.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, so then what... How about going from New York to L.A.? How old were you when you made
1: that jump? Um, I graduated college. I went from college to graduate school in New York. Didn't really like it. Was working... Um, my cousin gave me a job. He had a place called Divine Garments, which made um, clothes for um, funerals. Cause when you, the the clothes in funerals don't have backs. Um, so I never had a happy customer. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. What a crazy environment. Families would come in to buy stuff, they'd be crying. And then I'd have to do these emergency rushes to like, Riverside Chapel because the suit didn't fit. <laughs> oh man. And you walk in hundreds of crying people. So anyways, a, a recruiter came to, uh, I went to the New School for Social Research and a California Probation Department recruiter came in for recruits to come work in the California Probation Department during the Reagan era. And I was a long hair, acid head, um, who always had a slant towards, um, being the hero on a white horse who saves the princess. And uh, in those days, Reagan was really um, horrific to hippies. Um, you, you always saw her on the news that throwing them up against the wall and police harassment. So I said, I'm going to go save these kids in California. And I got a job as a probation officer at Los Pedrinos Juvenile Hall and came out to LA and went to work and the first day got beat up by the kids. <laughs> the first day. The first day. I had hair down wow. in my, basically all the way down my back, and the guards hated me, and they had, took me out to play softball with the kids, and then they all left. And I'm sure they put the kids up to it. Nobody really hurt me, but enough to know they'd leave.
0: Man, so that was it, day one, and you were done.
1: Day one, it was over. Holy and then I got God. the luckiest break of my life because I checked into a motel and um, didn't have a lot of money, so I checked into a place uh, yeah. you know, a cheap motel, like Hotel California, around the yep. swimming pool, two stories, and heard some people down at the pool. A girl scream, and I had just come from a jail, and
0: you're shell shocked.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was pretty high, and I thought that she was being raped. I was still on my white horse, and I ran down, and <laughs> she was actually making love, and um, sort of punched me, and then, so I got beat up twice my first day, and
0: and that white horse, that white horse did not work out.
1: <laughs> do well, yeah, do well. And uh, I go to that pool. And it happened to be Janis Joplin, oh, man. which was pretty wild. And uh,
0: and at the time, was Janis Joplin? Janis Joplin?
1: Yeah, she was. Okay, okay. But at the time, the whole genre of Janis Joplin's was a different world. So if you were the top of the heap in the rock world in those days, maybe you made twenty five hundred dollars a night.
0: Jesus, at the top.
1: At the time, Alice played Madison Square Garden, the most expensive ticket when we sold out the first time in 72 was $2.50. Wow. So you start, you know, you're, if Janice would play 3,000-seat halls with dollar tickets, with wow. $2 tickets, so there wasn't, you know, it'd be a three-act bill.
0: Were they making a killing off of album sales at the time?
1: They were making money, yeah. Not killing, but everybody was making money. You could sell a million, two million albums and you made a exactly. million bucks or two million bucks. So it was almost the opposite. Yeah.
0: Where now all the money is in, you know, those shows and nobody's making any money off.
1: Yeah. But she was funny. well known and she was, called, you know, she was living in the motel. She was called, nobody, nobody was flying private planes or doing any of that stuff, but she was okay. You know, she was comfortable. Yeah. And um, and then Jimi Hendrix was involved also, right? Yeah. Jimi would stay there and um, the Chambers brothers, Stay there. A lot of groups, Pink Floyd, stay there. Um, One day, uh, Lester Chambers was with Jimmy and asked me uh, what I did for a living other than sell them psychedelics. I I said, uh, nothing really. And they said, You Jewish? Uh, Yeah. Um, Not knowing whether I was going to get punched.
0: (laughs) You might get beat up again. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, one more time. And uh, I think Jimmy or Lester said, You're Jewish, you should be a manager. And uh, they introduced me to Alice Cooper.
0: So, and were, you were just selling, selling the psychedelics just to get by, right?
1: Yeah, just to buy lunch. I had a free press route in front of Greenblatt's. Um, there was a paper. I don't know if the paper's still here, but it was called the L.A. Free Press. And um, I used to sell it in front of Greenblatt's. I think I made eight cents a copy. Wow! And uh, they would feed you for free at, at, at uh, Griffith Park. So I go eat there, and I sell the free press, and wow. I'm back and sell a little lesson. <laughs> yeah.
0: Incredible! And were you like, were you uh, when? So when you're at the hotel, are you just completely starstruck, or were you naturally kind of comf- comfortable around? Yeah, I'm not really of
1: starstruck at all. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. You just felt comfortable with those. I'm always,
1: people? you know, it's funny. I've always been a groupie. Yeah,
0: I, I've heard you say that before.
1: Yeah, I'm, a, I'm attracted to people of power and influence but you don't feel awkward or like no yeah i've never had that feeling but i do work to get to meet people of power and you know i realize that i have a groupie streak in me that um and for the most part it pays off because usually the people who have gotten through and have gotten to a position where they're you know of a celebrity um Usually have something that I find that, that helps me in my life, or something to really hold on to. It's less now. Now, celebrity is celebrity for celebrity. Up until the last ten years or fifteen years, you you got your celebrity by being the best at your craft. You know, so so there was some real weight attached. To
0: I miss those days, even though I was too young when they were really happening, but I'm, you know, now you're a celebrity because you're a hot girl on Instagram. So,
1: yeah. I'm not, as, I'm not a real groupie of the whole... The new age. Yeah.
0: But I will say what's interesting is I legitimately, I would say, took a page out of your book by even... Because for the listeners, I literally just hit you up on Twitter and sent you a direct message asking if there's any chance that you would be on this podcast, and that's Really, honestly, something that's kind of out of my normal comfort zone. But I've learned from listening to people like you uh to do that. And why not
1: ask? Oh yeah, and and just no, I was honored, man. I, was, I I I spent a few bucks on your clothes for one of my kids, so I was.
0: Oh man, anytime. Listen, anytime. Uh, no, no, to... no, no,
1: no, no. But no, not, not not why I said it. What what I think is so cool is that you created a brand. You pick, you know, you did it yourself. You, I, I can't even imagine how hard you worked. Um, and you created a space for yourself that makes people happy. My kid was thrilled, man. He felt it, was, it wasn't clothes. It was a medal.
0: And let me tell you this. That was the only goal I had. Because like I said, being honest, I wasn't... I'm not a clothing designer. I'm not a fashion guy. I wear T-shirts and jeans just like I sell. But when I started it so that's
1: why you must have made some of the greatest failures (laughs) oh a lot a whole lot because in the beginning i was so
0: responsible for some of the designs and i'm like i have no
1: idea i I don't know i don't know how many of your listeners i I know a little bit about the clothing business and the the technical foundational parts of like sewing and cutting and these are nightmare kind of scenarios where you can ruin an entire (laughs) absolutely
0: you get a whole shipment back that's wrong, and you have to return a whole yeah, yeah. shipment.
1: Yes, no, no, insane. So thank
0: God. Like now, I'm finally, you know, seven years in. I'm a, I'm in a spot where we have a team, and we have quality control people, and we have, you know, what I mean. But they they go to Hong Kong and make sure the samples are right. Yeah, exit. no, no, I, no, I, oh, I no, no, know, I
1: know, no, those are the thoughts that went through my brain when I got your thing, and I and I answered you back. I said, oh yeah, this guy's definitely oh, <laughs> beat up and got through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: it's so true. <laughs> So true. But that's why I, I, when I started the brand, all I wanted was to create a brand that stood for something. And that exactly what you just said, when somebody put it on, they felt a certain way because it's young and reckless. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, by the marketing that we do and the people we highlight and the stories we tell, you feel like you're a part of that when you put on that shirt. So like many kids
1: high, he walked an inch taller.
0: Man, for you to say that is literally the best compliment you could give me. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um and I will say my customers are much uh happier than your clothing customers, the 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 types that you were dealing with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A a sure. planner. yeah. 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 Definitely a different world. <laughs> um
0: I it's just so interesting to me too that how you how you say that you're a groupie which normally has a negative connotation, but I know what you mean but don 't have that nervousness or that you know I mean it 's such an incredible like combo of instincts that just happen to lead to had it around,
1: I have had it around a few gradual marks. the entire time I managed them, I never was comfortable enough to really have a real conversation why do you think i was i don 't know I was just completely awestruck and, yeah. and this the Dalai Lama who I cooked for um, i've served on his board now for twenty years the, I think of all these big things to ask them about, you know, like yep. I, I know that I'm going to be seeing them and I thought, I think about these big life questions and yeah. the only thing that ever comes out of my mouth is thank you. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> it's been going on for 20 years. I <laughs> I can only
0: imagine. That's such next level. I felt that way kind of when we first got on the phone. I was like, man, i got to just start by saying this is thanks for giving me the time.
1: <laughs> oh, no, pleasure. You guys are the hope for this this crazy fucking world we're in. You know, it's guys like you who are young enough, who know how to get stuff done, who are going to have some resources, who maybe at some point are going to say, fuck all this, let's get this right. And, you know, and band together and do something. I, I'd love to see people in the streets with pitchforks, burning down buildings, do something.
0: It's that time.
1: So, yeah, it's that time. It's, yeah. it's you know, when, when we're living in a world where we're given two options, of people who have such high negative ratings. Yep. And we're living in a world where the people who have our destiny in their hands feel no guilt for lying to us. It's time for guys like you who, who communicate to people, who have resources, who know how to win a fight, to really try and band together. I don't know how you do it. It's beyond me. But I, mean, I agree, man. Somebody, there's got to be a, a consciousness that wakes up that says, this is fucking stew. We, we've built the, the, great, the greatest place. I end my book saying that just where I got dropped out of the womb, I won the game right then, that second. Because 90% of the people who drop out of a womb are never going to have the chances you and I had. You get yeah. dropped out of the womb in Africa? You think they're going to start yeah. a clothing company that's going to yeah. put millions of dollars in the bank? Am I going to be managing acts? I'm going, to, I'm going to be trying to find clean water. I'm going to probably die when I'm 15.
0: And that is such a massive point, uh, a massive piece of it that people don't understand. I think a lot of people become successful and it becomes... No, no,
1: pain. you forget what we have here.
0: Oh, yeah. They thought they made every move right and you can anyone on this world has the same potential that they did. That's such a flawed theory. You're, you're 100% it's such right. It's bullshit.
1: And it's such an... It's, you know, I was just in Italy. It was a real. I went to uh, take cooking lessons in Tuscany, and I had watched Game of Thrones on the plane. And when I got to Italy, every single village had a had a wall around it. Like, uh-huh. not a TV show. This is real. They had walled cities because all yeah. that shit in Game of Thrones was real. Yeah, yeah. They all everybody kills each other. Millions. So our our system is the first real system. Where people were treated like treasures, and freedom was treated like treasures. You know, to see it all eroding is really sad to me. Um, So anyway, that's been my, every every time I've done an interview for my book, I've tried to get that in somewhere to say, you guys got to go vote. You got to get vocal. You got to get mad. You know, it's like that scene in the movie. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. How do we stand for these people lying to us? And getting caught in the lie and not caring.
0: Yeah. I think that people are just so upset with the current system and the way that things are going that they're putting all of their hope in the wrong place, and it's a mistake.
1: It's like it's like going to the casinos in Vegas, seeing how big the buildings are, and thinking you're going to win.
0: Yeah, something has to change. I just don't know what it is.
1: There's such a great network of young guys like you who have, who have uh, you know, fought through the war, done their own thing, you have some resources. And it's sort of not going to have to worry about eating anymore at thirty, and you got time to do other stuff that's maybe more important.
0: I really wish I could think of a way to add more value there, but I just don't know what that looks like. I think you'll
1: end up doing something. At least you'll yeah. try. I have a feeling. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to make this a political talk. Okay. So
0: so let me let me go back to then you know so then Alice is your first your first guy, and at that time Alice is nobody, right?
1: Uh huh. So somebody, not- but he wasn't he wasn't famous.
0: Got it. And then you. What got me so much about the story, and really, I want to leave part of this open because it's in the documentary and it's in the book. Um, so I'll let people go read it there, the little stories. But what blew my mind about that whole process is your creativity, and and your creativity to me being multiplied by not caring what people would think, or that it was so out of the norm, or that I mean, the ways the the plans that you came up with to help break Alice are just insane.
1: <laughs> I always tried to create history and, and, and I, uh, my goal was to irritate parents. So I had to be outrageous.
0: And that was just your instinct? Like that was your instinct to not go to kids, but, but to no, go to parents?
1: No, it wasn't, wasn't an instinct at all. It was actually, um, it was a desperation. Um, yep. Alice's band wasn't the greatest band. Um, he at that time hadn't really perfected his stuff. Um, they weren't really, at that point, uh, they, they started as a, a skit on a high school track team and then started taking some music lessons. Um, so, A, desperation. B, I had to stop dealing. Uh, ah. people were getting busted all around me. And Alice and the group and I sat down and, you know, I said, listen, um, uh, I'm a Jewish kid who's going to get rich. You I have no that. idea how or why, but I'm getting, because money means independence. Um, and if you want to all do it together, let's try and do it. And um, I have an idea. And it sort of fits into what you, because they, they were Alice Cooper when I met him, So they were a guy in a dress at a time <laughs> when that was really radical, um, doing really weird music. The first time I saw him, there were 1,500 people waiting for the doors. By the time Alice left the stage, maybe there were 100 people left in the room. (laughs) People were booing and throwing shit, and it was horrible. Um,
0: And you saw that and thought, there's opportunity here.
1: No, no, I didn't. I I saw it and thought, I mean, I gave a quote to Newsweek saying that only because I wanted to get attention, but I, I thought I wouldn't have to work. I was doing it as a front. I was dealing, this will be perfect, I'll never make it. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> um, and then, all of a sudden, I had to stop dealing, and I loved the guys they were great um so um uh, we sat and i at the new school for Social Research, I had a lecturer who talked about i have no i mean this is a very lucky thing, I guess it happened, but he talked about um in modern culture art um is a very abstract concept and usually appeals to a very narrow group of people. But there are social um, laws that appeal to generations, like rebellion against parents. Every child who's a healthy child has a moment where he rebels against his parents. Um, And I, he used examples of... um, And out of that rebellion, certain stars were born and he used the example in class of Elvis Presley who was having a good career until he went on the Ed Sullivan show and they wouldn't allow his hips to be shown (laughs) and that became a really people in Congress started talking about it we can't let our children be a victim to this kind of stuff the the Rolling Stones I remember my parents told me that they took my Rolling Stones album and broke it because there was a story in the newspaper about them urinating on a gas station. <laughs> um,
0: Man, how the times have changed.
1: So the, yeah, so the things we talked about were, listen, every other group is trying to get a hit record to get to an audience. Let's come around it the other way. Let's, let's really piss off parents and get them to tell their kids, you better not go see Alice Cooper. If a parent says that to a kid, they're going to come see you.
0: So did they really explode with no one single hit record? It was just the hype of that. It, it,
1: yeah, it exploded off two things. The chicken in Toronto. Yep. We uh, I threw a chicken on stage. Alice threw it out to the audience. The audience ripped it apart. But the newspaper story the next day was that Alice bit the head of the chicken.
0: Why did you throw the chicken?
1: Because I, I thought it would be pretty cool. It was the same thing <laughs> to piss people off. And it was... It, it was we used to use feather pillows in the show. We ended the show with feather pillows and CO2 tanks because it looked great for the lighting and it was yeah. cheap for us to do. Um, and there were very old chickens around. We were in an outdoor show. It was the first time John Lennon had ever performed with the plastic Ono band. And wow. it was outside in the big field, and there were all these wild chickens and roosters running around.
0: <laughs> and so you just grabbed one and hucked it up there? Yeah,
1: I had no idea what was going to happen. And Alice picked it up, thought it could fly, and threw it out to the audience. Oh, how magical. And at the same time, we had a song out called 18 that we had just put out. And when the story hit, all the disc jockeys read the story and played the record, and it just all kept spinning off itself.
0: So did you notice like an obvious explosion after the chicken incident?
1: The next day. Wow. Yeah, immediate. Like it was immediate. It was wild. Not that the it's next wild. day, but the next week, the next two weeks.
0: Because one thing that I, I always talk about is that, like now today, you could go, you could go to a show tonight. Somebody could rip a chicken to shreds, and it might be kind of a viral thing for the day. And then the next day, it's a totally different piece of news. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No this this lasted for a while, and we had it just kept bumping itself and bumping itself. We had there was a bill put in uh, the legislature in England to ban them from coming to England. The, we got banned in um, six or seven cities in America that canceled our shows, um, and that kept going. Uh, that's what we wanted. That was like the greatest thing anyone could do for us was cancel a show because our yeah. was, was too obscene for the children to see.
0: And there wasn't a moment when you thought, "Oh, maybe we're going too far, and
1: maybe he has too bad of a rap." No, never. No. You know, we were young, and our heads were down, and it was really about survival. So, you don't, you know, you don't really cash in until a year or two after your success, but it's all record royalties.
0: Did you do the, like, the trash in the hotel rooms for publicity and, and that sort of stuff, or, or not really?
1: We did some, but the first time we did it, we had to pay for the room, so we stopped doing that. <laughs> 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 it's a lot more
0: expensive than a chicken. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. so we started doing stuff like... Um, we did a snake audition at Century City when the day that Century City Shopping Center opened. We did a snake audition for Alice's Snake for the next tour. We had like 500 people show up with snakes, and that hit the six o'clock news, which was really <laughs> disgusting. Snakes get people really eerie. So, you know, who's this freaked with a snake? I like, God, what did you know? <laughs> oh, man,
0: and did anything? Did you actually? There was no actual purpose for it right like you didn't actually get a snake from there right you just had them all yeah, up yeah we used a snake
1: hit. in the show we used the snake in the show alice still to this day uses a snake on one of the songs but was it one
0: that you actually picked from the audition
1: we took the, yeah we that we took that one and took it on tour
0: and then is that before you did the snake thing was that london
1: that was during the same time period got it
0: when um so at this point you're still not really making money right because of the delay in no royalties
1: um, we, we started to make money very, re- very close to when the group, uh, sort of broke up. Really? Um, I would, I would say we all had, which I think was 74. So I can, actually can't remember. It could have been a little bit earlier, but at that point we all got our first real checks. So I think we all got like a half a million dollars each.
0: Wow. And how long, just for a reference, how long from, like, the chicken incident, for instance?
1: About four years.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's just... I mean, it's just crazy that the, the you have to just go and go and go, and you know you're a superstar, and you know all these things are working, but you just do not have the payoff.
1: All right. <laughs> but, you know, you know we, we start... You know, it's all relative. So yeah. when we started... Um, like Thursday night was rock soup night. We would get rocks and boil them in water. The big night of the week was macaroni night. So when you, when you move uh, you know, and staying in other people's houses and finding abandoned places. So when, and then, you know, the next step up, you maybe can afford a little rent and, um, and food. Man. And then maybe the next step up, you uh, can actually get some clothes that aren't stage clothes. So we were, you know, it, every few months with a step up, we actually rented a big house in Connecticut we were able to afford a place called the Gilles. We couldn't. We didn't have enough money that everybody could get their own place, but we had <laughs> enough money at least coming that we could rent a place for everybody to stay. They each had their own room, which was gigantic.
0: And so you were just on, they were on cloud nine then. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Cloud nine. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> and, we each got a check for, we got a check maybe our first check was 25 or 35,000 each and. One of the guys went out and bought an old Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the classic, the classic music yeah. industry tale. Uh, I love it.
0: And it, w- during the process, did you feel like, like we were, were you guys bummed out about money, or were you like we're just having the time of our lives? Who cares?
1: Uh, I think it's a combination, depending on the day. Definitely, depending, <laughs> depending on the day. I mean, there was always. An understanding that um, we were being fucked over by the big companies. That was, that was part of life. We all realized that the record companies were raping and pillaging us.
0: Um, and that was just something you had to accept then?
1: And that was just part of life. And there were benevolent dictators, and uh, you know, A&M Records was a benevolent dictator. Um, you could go to Jerry Moss and say, you know, I needed an operation... And if the money was in the pipeline, he'd give you the money. Most of the other record companies you could go to and say, you know, I need heart surgery. I'm going to die. You're holding $250,000 of my money. I know it's not due for three months, but could I get it now? And you would never get a yes. God.
0: (laughs) That's nuts. It's just so crazy the way that those things used to be. Uh, And not that they don't. um, Shit, it happens a lot now.
1: Yeah, I think life, you know, greed is a, greed is a tough one. It's, it consumes people and, um, I think yeah. so, you know, I think one of the real, um, one of the real problems about commerce is that it's, people view it like sports and it has to be a win-lose situation. Yeah. And, um, that gets tough. You know, I try and, I try and always make it win-win. You can't every time, but there's a perception I think, a, a different perception than it was around 40, 50 years ago. Now it's it's every man for himself, winners, losers. Uh, I'm going to make it climbing over you. you know, well, especially now. That, makes, say that, that be- makes you very rich and very unhappy.
0: Yes, it does. And it makes, you know, I was going to kind of reference the the gap between the, the wealthy and the poor currently uh, is just such it's a huge a problem. sign of that. You know what I mean? It's just more and more and more.
1: But it gets back to the same thing we talked about before about the young kids having to take some action because it's, you know, I, one of the things that I, you know, if you, if you have any consciousness of the planet, you realize that if you're driving the Rolls Royce down the street and everybody's starving, at some point you're going to get pulled out of the Rolls Royce and they're going to take it. So the, the best thing you can do, the most selfish thing you can do is level the playing field.
0: Yeah, I definitely went through that phase where I wanted, you know, the nice cars and the jewelry and, the, you know, just really wanted to show off the success. And
1: great to have the toys and great to have all that stuff but you got to try and keep it in perspective. I think the important thing is to try and use the resources, you know, to make yourself happy, but also try and help some other people get happy. Yeah,
0: I agree. That's definitely something that I admire about, you know, how you've done things. Um, so after Alice, was Teddy Pendergrass your next artist?
1: Um, no, there was a whole wave in between. There was um, Groucho Marx, Raquel Welsh, Ann Murray, um, Blondie, um, a couple of others, and then Teddy.
0: Gotcha. So you built this massive management company, um, but then you just decided to pack it all up and move to Maui?
1: Yeah, I moved... I. I I have expanded the business to uh, um, it got it got big. I was managing twenty twenty five major attractions, and I was managing one hundred and thirty of the world's great chefs, which was really fun for me. But it was voluminous and big employees and big overhead. Um, and I had a premiere of a movie in um, in Los Angeles at Universal, very carpet premiere. lot of stars, and I was bored to death, like just bored, you know, I did about 25 movies, this was another premiere, and I flew to Maui the next day, and at sunset I was by myself on a hammock having a drink, and every molecule in my body was excited and joyful, and I said, what, what the hell am I doing, I only have one life, (laughs) what the fuck am I doing, and I flew back to LA and resigned and closed the office. And I just kept Dallas. And that was, I I would say that was probably 96, 98. No, maybe a little later, maybe 2005 or something. I think I've been uh, 12 or 14 years I've been out of L.A.
0: And there's not a PCU that wants to leave?
1: If I had to do it again, would I do it the same way? Probably not. Um, I probably would have made the transition smoother, maybe kept a little presence um but I'm not sad for what I did. That's why I was, my whole life has sort of been I, I wake up and I do stuff. Yeah. And um I don't really, you know, I never thought I'd be a manager. I never thought I'd make movies. I never thought I'd manage chefs. I never woke up and said, oh, I have to go manage chefs. Never, You know, a, an opportunity presented itself and I acted on it. An, and the same opportunity presented itself for me as a human, which was, yeah. wow, now that I've had that realization, um, I wish it hadn't come in my head, but now that it's in my head Yeah what's what's it what's it all about? I mean what, yep. what, who am who am I lying to and who am I being true to?
0: One of the things that gets me the most and it's so uh, magnetic about you and watching the documentary and all this stuff is your general attitude towards life. Like there doesn't seem to be any resentment or jealousy or really hatred for that matter for anyone and and it just seems like the combination of you know not accepting any rules in your head right we can't do this because i don't know we'll get in trouble you don't care about that um uh, the combination of that and just genuinely loving life just seems to be something that is so powerful for you and i just wonder like how you know is that something that you were just kind of born with like you just you just love it here
1: yeah yeah no it's funny i um I did the book to try and sort of figure myself out. And did it work? I didn't. I, I figured out some. I didn't figure it all out. One of the looming questions that didn't get answered for me um, was: um, It's so easy for me to love everything, um, whether it's this table or the chair I'm sitting on, or the f- plant I'm looking at, or the person who walks by. Yet it's so hard for me to love one person, and I yeah, I don't I still haven't figured that out, <laughs> and it's uh, it's who I am and it's what I do. So I don't mean it as a negative, but I one of the thoughts that I had when I was writing the book is 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 this a a way for me to not have to deal with loving one person? Is this a escape route that I made for myself? Um I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's a when I look at my life it's unusual to me that I have so much love for everything. People I don't know. Yeah, but it's so it's hard incredible. for me to love one person.
0: That's pretty amazing. And and it's amazing to to recognize that in yourself, if that makes any sense. I just I don't know. That's just something that always got me as your general Sort of joy for life. Even watching the documentary and and reading stuff, it just that shows very clearly.
1: One of the things you know, I, I use. I don't know if this is true or not true, because mm-hmm. um, I've never asked the question. Or whatever it was, it's one of the questions I wanted to ask his as holiness. Yeah, and uh, I always thought about, but I only get the thank you is when he when I see the way he looks at the world. Um, when I you know standing next to him, watching him experience the world for the first time, you know, get in the car and go drive or you get out of the car you meet someone or, you know, and he, I always get the sense that he sees the miracle in everything before he actually sees the object, if yeah. that makes any sense. I, and yeah. that's the mantra that I try and, when I start to fall into a rut, um I try, you know, I, I look at the human like it's so easy sometimes to really you know, I fly a lot, and it's really hard to love the stewardesses. Sometimes, um, <laughs> it's just yeah, really yeah. hard. <laughs>
0: but how do you? But at the, but you? Do you just tell yourself in the, in those moments, like okay, okay, never mind?
1: Yeah, look at the miracle in there. Look at that! Wow, it's amazing—the nose, the eyes, the way she's put together. Or he? Um, what a miracle! Were you taught that? No, but I think it's what I sort of always felt. And then when I was around his holiness, it just I, I interpreted the way. His twinkle in his eye and his giggle as that he giggles all the time. Everything he looks at, he giggles, and the giggle to me is seeing the miracle. The, I, I, but again, never discussed with him at all. So, but it's been a tool that's really helped me.
0: What an incredible way to live!
1: Yeah, no, he's he's he's, he's um, what an inspiration he is. I'm so lucky to have been around him and see someone who really lives it. Doesn't you know really lives it
0: like it's not a facade or like something that's
1: yeah yeah. no no it's like really lives it and and really has a has a um i don't know what it is but i can't even describe i know when i'm in a room with him i feel like i took the best shower of my life like everything is so clean i get so clean my mind my body um it's pretty wide he doesn't do it it's almost it was a it was a uh A movie with um, Dudley Moore, I think it was Arthur, where he was a gardener, or Chauncey or something, Chauncey Gart. He was a gardener who was very simple and naive, and people took him for a genius. Um, You know, he'd say a word word like today, and they go, "Oh my God, today!" (laughs) You know, Um, you know, he just um, he has this giggle, simple truth and honesty that's just wild and sense of humor. Um, He's. I've never been around anybody like him. I mean, it's. He definitely is of a not completely of this earth.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I'm just so jealous of it. It's something that I constantly, and as I get older, I'm trying to work on and trying. I'm reading about meditation and just try. You know, it's just. I don't know. It's such a better way to live.
1: Yeah, and and I think the journey is as important as getting there. Yeah, that's a huge lesson.
0: Yeah. But it's just so hard. When you're in the moment, you think, oh, this will pay off, this will pay off. I can't wait till this happens or till I get this house or till I... You know what I mean? And it's so hard to just take a moment and enjoy the process.
1: And enjoy it.
0: <laughs> For all the kids out there, I, uh, you've been through everything. You've seen everything, not only through yourself, but through all the people around you. One of those biggest things being fame, but also success and money just, you know, if you can, what would your advice be to a kid, a young kid who, you know, young kids these days, the majority of them are looking for money or fame. And unfortunately, sometimes they're looking for the quickest way to get it. Um, What would your guidance be to that young kid who's just out there, you know, wanting so badly to be famous or wanting so badly to just get rich or, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you tell that kid?
1: Um it's hard cuz each one's an individual case but I think um the thing to be careful of I think is is to be going just for fame for fame's sake cuz yeah. then when you get there there's it's an it, it's empty if you want to be famous really perfect the craft if if you know cooking is your craft work at it go to school get it hone your craft if music is you know I I I, um, but it's hard to stop the wave, and the wave today is fame. People want to be famous, don't care about the craft. So I don't yeah. know how you stop it, but my advice to kids would be, you know, um, give yourself something to fall back on, and give yourself something you can be proud of, and, um, you know, have a lot of good friends around you who will tell you the truth and, you know, slap you around when you need it.
0: And what about the kid moving to L.A., kind of like you were, that says, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just want to be successful in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, ad- advice for conquering this crazy world of well, I think
1: um, get up earlier than everybody else. Go to sleep later and uh, work in between. And um, do some good for some people, and it'll come back to you double fold um, in ways you'll never know, but it'll come back. So, you okay. know, if you're coming out to L.A. and you're on the treadmill and you're you know, you you're know really going for it, go go do something in a soup kitchen or do something. It yep. keeps you grounded and makes you realize how lucky you are. I agree. It's huge.
0: Um, okay, I'll let you get going. What is the, the – the, the let everyone know. The book goes on sale when? September
1: 20th. No. The pre-sales are on Amazon. They call me Super Mensch. Is the name of it a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film, food, and rock and roll, and uh, it's published by Anthony Bourdain. I got my little groupie thing in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, man, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I hope I hope we can connect. Yeah, uh, sometimes hopefully I can. If I'm out in Maui, I'll I'll give you a call. I I
1: would love to talk more off the air. Yep, thank you so much.
0: Alright, there it is, episode 20, short story long, Shep Gordon. I hope you guys liked it. I had so much fun doing it. I like I said, I'm still kinda gassed up off of it and, and off of having the opportunity to do it. And I hope everyone enjoyed the interview, you know, as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. So, like I said, if you haven't watched it yet, go watch his documentary now. It's called Supermensch The Legend of Shep Gordon. Uh, look that up. It's so good, so funny, and so inspiring the stuff that he's done accomplished been through and his outlook on it all is just incredible Um, and also like i said his book they call me supermensch a backstage a backstage pass to the amazing worlds of film food and rock and roll produced or uh, published by anthony bourdain is available for pre-order now so go pre-order that i pre-ordered mine i can't wait to read it um that's it thank you last but not least go to the itunes page go to the podcast page leave me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Don't be an asshole. Give me five stars. Give me some good feedback. Give me your honest thoughts. Thank you guys so much for this, and I will see you next week. Goodbye.